Welcome back, Bible readers. This is the Rooted Podcast, and we um, this week are going to be finishing uh, a couple of chapters in the book of Ezra and getting into a little bit of Nehemiah as well. Last week, we were supposed to get back to a few chapters of Ezra, um, but we ended up covering the entirety of the book of Esther. So that was for last week. So this week, we're going to start, I think, chapter 7, chapter 8 um, uh, in the book of Ezra. And so just to kind of get our bearings, just to understand what's happening, um, between chapter 6 and chapter 7 was the book of Esther. And now we're going to get into chapter 7 of Ezra, which um, is part of the second return. Um, so there was a first return of the people back to the, le- back to the land of Israel, and that was in Ezra chapter 1 as King Cyrus gave the decree and they came back. Well, there's also a second return here that's kind of later on. And it says in chapter 7, I'm reading from NLT, it says, Many years later, during the reign of King Artaxerxes of Persia, there was a man named Ezra. And so Ezra is finally named here in the book of Ezra, um, as we had kind of talked about chapters 1 through 6 in the previous week. So he's actually named here, and it's specific because he is uh, from the high priestly line, and that's a big deal. Um, and so it gives some more information, a little bit more about Ezra down here in the chapter, excuse me, in verse 6. It says, The king gave him everything he asked for because the gracious hand of the Lord was upon him. But what's important, I think, for this section, at least to me, uh, Tim, is that it says in verse 10, for this was because Ezra had determined to study and obey the law of the Lord and to teach those decrees and regulations to the people of Israel. And, and Ezra knew the responsibility he had to make sure that the people understood the law. I mean, he was a priest. He was in the priestly line. Obviously, he was involved with the, the return. But here we have, um, you know, the law is kind of being rediscovered, you might say, isn't it? It's almost as if it's been hidden for a while, and they all of a sudden start to rediscover, especially uh, as we read later in the book of Nehemiah. Uh, so what about these chapters? Anything stick out to you about chapters 7, 8, 9, 10? We're going to talk about some of these other things. Yeah, one um, of the things that really stands out is the Scripture calls him a skilled scribe yeah. in the law of Moses. So you may mention that yesterday in your, your sermon. Yeah, the first five books yeah. of so the Old Testament. He's a, a skilled scribe in the book of Moses, which the Lord God of Israel had, had given him. And, and again, that phrase again, the hand of his God was upon him. Yeah, and we're going to see him uh, begin to kind of step into a position of leadership of kind of like a lead scribe yep. or a lead yes. priest and kind of lead the people in this direction. But at the end of chapter 7, uh, the verse is, is at the very end, that last phrase, it says, I felt encouraged because the gracious hand of the Lord my God was upon me, and I gathered some of the leaders of Israel to return with me to Jerusalem. So he's going to become like the almost like a Moses, really. He's the, leader the spiritual leader, no of doubt. the leaders. <laughs> and so then in chapter eight, you see all the families that come, exiles who return with Ezra. Again, it's very specific. You know, it lists all the families uh, and everything that happens. The temple servants, all they bring. Again, this is a second return. So this is more people, more materials, uh, more wealth. You may say. And um, he appoints leaders of the priests. And so he's acting much like uh, a Moses would be. And they arrive, I think, if you look at the uh, month period, and I think it's a few months. I think most people say between three and four months, you know, from the time they leave Jerusalem to lay, or excuse me, they leave Babylon, Persia, and get to Jerusalem. Because they got a lot more materials. Probably like the first return took a few months um, I know that from studying um, Nebuchadnezzar and some of the things that Daniel did in Babylon. 
It's about a three-month journey from Babylon, Persia, in that area to go to Jerusalem. That's the normal journey, not the across the desert, i got to get there in a hurry journey. That's the normal journey. So they bring all these things. Again, the king is with them. Uh, The king provides all these things for them. Um, And so it says, when these things had been done in chapter 9, many of the people of Israel, even some of the Levites, had not kept themselves separate from the other peoples in the lands. They had taken up the practices. So again, they're going back to what they had struggles with in the first place. Yep. All the way back in uh, the days of Moses, when Moses says, "Don't, don't intermarry, don't intermarry, don't intermarry," and and, and worse yet, mine says NLT in verse number two: "For the men of Israel have married women from these people, and have taken them as wives for their sons. So the whole race has become polluted by these mixed marriages." Worse yet, mine says, "The leaders and officials have led the way in this outrage." <laughs> so what do you do? What do you do in a situation like this? What do you think, Tim? Well, I mean, it, we it, know what he does, but we see the emphasis once again of going back to the first five books of yeah, the law. To the law, yeah. And Ezra being the scribe leads the people in a form of repentance. And I, I think it's good for us to understand that, you know, sometimes we Americanize the Bible oh, yeah. and all that takes place and what follows, you know. Uh, as a leader, he got so upset, he, he, he pulled his hair out. Have, have you ever felt that way? You've heard that expression? Yeah. You know, I'm so upset that I feel like pulling my hair out. Well, Ezra the scribe uh, did this. The, the scripture says, when I heard this, I tore off my garment and my robe. and I plucked out some of my hair and my beard, mm-hmm. and I sat astonished because they had intermingled and married with the other nations which God completely told them not to do that in the five books of of Moses. And so keep this in mind. This isn't America. This is the nation of Israel. Uh, This is not 2021. Uh, This is the nation of Israel. And so the first five books of the law tells them how to deal with it. And uh, I can imagine how, as a leader, he, he was really discouraged when he found out that they were intermingling, mixing with the other false gods. Yeah. Interracial, he, he's not talking about interracial marriage uh, because of skin color. It was because of the false idols of the other yeah. nations yeah. and the idolatry that yeah. would bring into the yeah. children of Israel. And to, yeah, that's a good point. Context is a big deal, especially here. Um, because they're getting their information from the law. So don't read it in Western side and say, well, what's the matter with mingling from another country? What's the matter with me marrying someone from another nation? There's nothing wrong with it. But for a Jew in this specific context, in this specific time in history, they're trying to follow the law because that's all they had. That's all that was written down for them. That's what God wanted for them. Um, I find it interesting, too, that he kind of, you know, he sits there, he's appalled until the time of the evening sacrifice. But at the time of the evening sacrifice, kind of when a lot of people would have been in the temple area for the evening sacrifice, that's when he stood up to pray. He yes. prayed publicly. It's almost he prayed so that, like a, like a Pharisee, yeah. he prayed so that everybody else would hear yeah. him, didn't yeah. he? And, and, and if you read down through this prayer, uh, it's a really good prayer because it talks about all the things that they did not do and they know what they were supposed to do and why they're being punished. And yet God he even allowed a remnant to come back. And as, as you read through this prayer, because a lot of those prayers um, that we find that are read, uh, in Scripture and they're included there, kind of recount the 
history of how Israel did things the wrong way. Right. Um, and and it's it's a and history. that's that's key. They yeah. did it the wrong way. They yeah. left the principles of the Torah. Uh, yep. And that's key. That's a good statement. Thank yeah. you. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, that's so they definitely know the right way. They know, obviously, that they've done it the wrong way. And so they confess it. And it's important that they name the things, too. Yes. You know, it's not just saying, Lord, we did it wrong. Yes. That's it. No, they actually went through and named each one, which I think it's interesting because it's very specific. And again, you know, when we're confessing our sins, you know, sometimes we know specifically, yeah, I did that wrong. Lord, forgive me. Sometimes we don't remember sins of what we call them, omission or, or right. things we do not knowingly. Yeah. Uh, and we still ask God for forgiveness. Well, Ezra here, he prayed in chapter 10, and he made this confession, weeping and lying face down on the ground in front of the temple of God. Can you imagine here? He's, and so there's a crowd that gathers because of that. And they also begin to, the men, women, and children gathered and wept bitterly with him. And, and, and you know, he stands up, he kind of takes charge, says that uh, you guys need to follow my leadership. Actually, they kind of say, Ezra, lead the way. We will follow you. He doesn't actually have to exert anything. A proclamation was made in verse 7 that all the exiles should come to Jerusalem because what was happening is that um, there were um, some, who, again, who had done wrong and who had uh, uh, pagan wives in, in verse 3. Let us now make a covenant with our God to divorce our pagan wives and send them away with their children. We will follow the advice given by you and others who respect the commands of our God. So they want to get it right. They just kind of need someone to step up and help them with it. Right. And so some exiles, he makes a call, says, you got three days. I like that. He's like, three days, <laughs> and we're going to make this right. And it takes them a while, doesn't it? Um, it, it takes it them a takes while. It takes a while because they had children. Yeah, I mean, uh, we're it talking. It was the rainy season. And, I have uh, December 29th to March 27th hmm. is roughly. So you're talking three months. <laughs> three months, there's gnats and bugs sometimes flying around. You never know. Good thing I didn't eat that one. <laughs> there's three months of time to kind of get everything sorted out. and uh, But then I think that um, it's interesting, the very last part of Ezra he puts all the names of the people yes. that were guilty of yes. it. He writes them down in Scripture. He has a register. So we have them forever <laughs> in Scripture. And no, these were the ones that did what was wrong. Yeah. And I'm thankful that God doesn't keep any records of, of the yeah. wrongs. You know, I'm thankful that our, our sins are, have been paid for. And, and he doesn't keep, because their names are in here. You yeah. can go back and look and say, oh, you're from that family. <laughs> oh, you know, your great-granddaddy uh, or great-grandmother was guilty of... of you know, marrying the four yeah. wives. Verse, verse number two <laughs> specifically identifies, and I don't know how the NLT, but the, I have the New King James Version, mm -hmm. and it, it says, for they have taken some of their daughters as wives for themselves yeah. and some of their sons so that the holy seed, which would be Israel, is mixed with the peoples of those lands and indeed, the leaders of the land and the rulers have been foremost in this trespass. And so this is where the false gods and false idols mm -hmm. uh, came into play. Israel's, they were serial idolaters. Why? Because they intermarried with these other nations and they brought in their idolatry. So that's, that's the big thing here going on. And, and the, he and was humiliated when he prays. Talk yeah. about him being humiliated. And well, because also disgusted. the leaders are the ones who yeah. are leading the way yeah. in doing this. Yeah. And so that doesn't make it, yeah. make it very easy. And so Ezra kind of ends abruptly, doesn't it? 
kind of like, this is the problem. Of course, it's going to pick up when we get into the book of Nehemiah later on in Nehemiah. But it kind of ends abruptly. It's like it's done. Look at verse verse 14 in in chapter 9 in the NLT. But even so, we are again breaking your commands and intermarrying with people who do not who do these detestable things. Yeah. Won't your anger be enough to destroy us so that even this little remnant no longer survives? Yeah. It says, O Lord God of Israel, you are just. We come before you in our guilt as nothing but an escaped remnant, though in your though though in such a condition none of us can stand by your presence. Yeah. Wow. The New King James says, No one can stand before you because of this. Mm-hmm. But totally Destroyed their relationship. Sounds like with the God. prayer that yeah. Daniel offered in Daniel yeah. chapter nine, that prayer yeah. of confession for the yes, people. Yes, a prayer of confession. Well, the book of Ezra ends uh, kind of abruptly, like we said, listing these things. Um, and the last verse of Ezra says, each of these men had a pagan wife, and some even had children by these wives. Yes. So you look at that list. So there's a lot going on here that we don't really realize. We have all these returnees coming back from the exile, and you're thinking, oh. You know, they're doing good, they're worshiping, they're doing everything they're supposed to do. Well, they're falling back into the same practices that got them kicked out of the land in the first place. So Nehemiah, excuse me, Ezra is going to address some of these things, and he does. And with the help, Nehemiah addresses some of these things. But when we, as we get to Nehemiah, the thing to understand about Nehemiah is that Nehemiah didn't really have any special... He wasn't a king. He wasn't a priest. He wasn't a prophet. He was just an ordinary citizen that held a position in the in the Persian government. Yeah, he was a cupbearer. He wasn't bearer. a priest. Yeah. He didn't even have any family lineage like Ezra did. Ezra had family lineage down to Aaron. Um, Nehemiah doesn't. He's just a normal, average, everyday person. A, just a simple a citizen. cupbearer. Yeah. That's what the scripture says. Which, which means that, you know, I mean, take heart, those of you out there who are just normal, everyday, everyday people. people. You know, God can use you in a mighty way, and God used Nehemiah in a mighty way. Yes. So what do you, So as we get to Nehemiah, we'll only cover the first four or five chapters, I think, is what we have time for. What's the big picture? What's the big theme or word that you think from Nehemiah that... The, the first part of Nehemiah or the, the entire book? Well, whatever. <laughs> the first part, he, up, he sees the, the devastation. You know, he, okay. he inquires and finds out how his brothers, the Jews, were doing, who had, who had escaped and survived the captivity. And he found out they were in, in great distress and reproach. And the Scripture says the wall of Jerusalem is also broken down and its gates are burned with fire. Of course, they they knew that, but uh, Nehemiah was just devastated. And when he heard it, the scripture says he sat down and he wept and he mourned for many days and he fasted and he prayed to the Lord God. And it doesn't tell us how many days; it says many days. And so he he was just devastated by by the news uh, of how the land was just totally destroyed. I think most people knew that, but I, I don't know. I don't guess Nehemiah had known that the land had been burnt. That's that's true. Yeah. That's a good point. I mean, he's obviously getting the news yeah. for the first time. Yeah. He fasted and prayed. And, and you get into chapter um, 2 as he goes before the king. Um, he finally gets a chance to um, send get his request out before the king. It says early the following spring, well, in late autumn, uh, back in chapter one is when the request came in, when the news came in. So it's been about four months. He's kind of been thinking about this kind of, uh, you know, he's fasted and prayed. And we don't know how long he did that for, but it, he hasn't presented to the king this new information that 
I need to go back or I want right. to go back. He's afraid that the king is going to say no or say, what are you talking about? Or he's just is, is fearful. So he kind of holds it for four months before he says anything to the king. And it's, and it's kind of when it does happen, he's going before the king and just his normal day. He's just more uh, emotional, I think, than he was in the other day. And the king just you picked, know, up on it. picked up on it. And he just says, you know, he just blurts it out. It's not like it was, hey, I'm going to plan this, and when the king's here, I'm going to go do this, and then I'll get him when it's at nighttime and he's, you know, relaxing, and, and, and that's the perfect time to, you know, ask the request. Like you've done, I know you out there have done that. You, your work or your boss, when's the best time to ask for a raise? Well, it's after lunch when he's had a good meal and he's in a nice mood, you know what I mean? <laughs> Stuff like that. But he doesn't here. It says, um, it says uh, look at verse Two, it says of chapter two. So the king asked me, why are you looking so sad? You don't look sick to me. You must be deeply troubled. And then Nehemiah says, I was terrified. But I replied, long live the king. How can I not be sad for the city where my ancestors are burning in ruins and the gates have been destroyed by fire? Wow. I mean, he just drops it. He lays it. it out. He's like, why can I be happy? My city, my ancestors, it's lying in ruins. And, you know, I don't know what he'd expect the king to say, but the king responds and says, you know, basically, what can we do to help? What can we do to help? Yeah. Again, your help for the Jewish people are coming from pagan kings, unbelievers, as it were. Um, and he, he asked that question, what, what do you request? Yeah. And, and then you see some of these real unusual, I call them fiery little dart prayers that you throw up before yeah. God, mm-hmm. you know, just real short one-phrase prayer. Mm-hmm. You know, the king asking, well, what do you want? And so Nehemiah, the, the next verse says, so I prayed to the God of heaven, and the king said, if it pleases the king, and he said to the king, I ask that you send me to Judah, to the city of my fathers, uh, that I may rebuild it. But before he makes his request, it says, so I prayed to the God of heaven. Yeah. Uh, but I find it that sometimes when you have been thinking and praying about something for a long time, then it you know somebody asks you about it or you're praying about it. It's almost like the quick prayer comes out because it's just Absolutely. a natural response of what's Absolutely. already in your heart. Yeah. And the quick prayers, you say, well, it's just a quick prayer. Well, yeah, it's a quick prayer, but it's based upon four yeah. ye- four not four years four months of him talking to God about it every day, sure. praying about it every day. So some of those quick prayers that we often offer come out of a heart of prayer uh, that we've had. In the past, and so I think that's kind of interesting that it is quick, like you say, fiery mm-hmm. darts kind of type things. And yep. he asks, and 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 he asks for a lot, doesn't he? <laughs> he's like he doesn't ask for a little bit; he just goes for everything. He's yeah. like, if the Lord, he's responding well to me, the King is. Well, then I'm just going to ask for the yeah. ceiling. I want the, the let, letters to get through. I want. I, I'm asking for timber and the materials yep. to rebuild the city. Yep. What else did he ask for? Um, Those two things. Basi- yeah, basically, he asked, um, "Give me passage of what I need. Right. Give me money to, to to go. Give me materials for the timbers. Give me letters to go to the forest. Give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. I mean, just the and whole it was way. taken care of. What? Yeah, miraculously. And taken the king care didn't of. even bat an eye of it. He took care of it, which, again, you know, God is in control of those sovereign powers. I mean, God is in control. He's sovereign over the powers of the world. And, you know, he's working out things here um, from Artaxerxes. And, again, recognize that, um, you know, Cyrus, Darius, or Darius and Artaxerxes, they're all Persian rulers. And it's interesting how uh, kind 
and giving the Persian rulers are towards the people Absolutely. of God than versus yes. you know Babylon or Assyria or Absolutely. Egypt. Um, and so I think there's something there, and we don't have time to get sure. into those details, but I think there's something there about uh, about it because obviously God is in control and He's working those powers uh, on behalf of the Jewish people. Um, but then you go into the passage, Pastor Jeremy, and you, you know as well as I do, anytime you begin to do something good for God, there's always going to be opposition. Mm. In verse number 10, we see these guys raise up Sanballat, the Hornite, mm. Tobiah, yeah. the Ammonite. They heard about it, and they were deeply disturbed that a man had come to seek the well-being of the children of <laughs> Israel. Know. So that opposition is going to always rise up when you <clears throat> desire to do good and to do what is right. And, uh, but just simply be faithful and continue and they show on. up early, don't they? Yeah, they show up early. And the text, and we'll, we'll see them here shortly when we get into chapter 4 and 5, but they show up really early. And so Nehemiah goes, I think it's interesting, he goes to Jerusalem to inspect everything, and he does so kind of privately. Um, he does so, he kind of gets to gets in his mind what he's got to do. It says he goes ahead three days, he slipped out the night to look at all the damage. He didn't want any commentary from anybody telling him what needs to be done. He just wanted to see the damage for himself. I think he kind of wanted to get alone with God yeah. and, and figure Absolutely. out what exactly. And then after those days were over, he comes and he says, okay, this is what needs to needs This to is take what place. God's put on my yeah. heart. Yeah. yeah. And, and again, he opens up the plan. And of course, Sam Ballot, Tobiah, and Gisham, uh, they heard of the plan. They scoffed. What are you doing? Uh, verse 19, or uh, are you rebelling against the king? They asked. And he replied, the God of heaven will help us succeed. Wow. You know, we, his yes. servants, will start rebuilding this wall. Amen. But you have no share, legal right, or historic claim in Jerusalem. That's right. Wow. That's pretty powerful. That's that is pretty powerful. That's and they conviction. Start, and then they start to rebuild. And, <laughs> and, you know, chapter 3 is about the different gates that they rebuild. And you can read through it. We don't have time to go through all the details of some of those gates. Um, chapter 3, is one of the great lessons we can learn Man. is, hey, you're going to build a wall for God. You're going to do anything for God. You've got to be organized. Oh, yeah. You see that phrase, next to him, next to yep. him, next to him, over and over and over again. And Nehemiah was a great leader, not only because he was organized, he put the people in the right place. Mm. And then it talks about the the nobles. Where is it there? Verse number five. Mm -hmm. Next to them, the, is it the T... Techites or Tekoites, yeah, they Tekoa. made repairs, yeah. but their nobles didn't put their shoulders to the work or their neck to the work of the mm -hmm. Lord, yeah. and they were kind of half-hearted in their work. And that's something that's included in chapter 3. I, I wouldn't want to be a part of that group. <laughs> but uh, and, and what, what is the proper pronunciation of tech? Tekoites. I, I say Tekoa. Tekoaite. Tekoaites. It says in mine the people from Tekoa, which the is Tekoa. easier to say that <laughs> than Tekoaites, the people from Tekoa. And I mean, it lists everything. It lists a lot of the repairs and, and how much is made. Um, it lists uh, who was there and yeah, they who hung was there the gates for the repairs. And hung the doors. And, yeah. 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 I, I mean, <laughs> and all the different gates and specific things as to where they went 
and hoop helped. And you also have to remember, too, that they're constantly being, um, does it say it here, is it later on, Tim, where they're, they're, they're having to work, but they have to watch? In chapter 4. Yeah, they have to that, work, that, but they have to yeah. watch because the enemies are just surrounding them so much that they have to work a little bit, kind of like working with one hand while you have a sword in the other hand. Yep. Um, I think that's in chapter 4. Well, we'll get a trial, to that. trial in one hand and a sword in the other hand. Right? So all those listings in <laughs> chapter 4, or excuse me, in chapter 3 about those gates and places, you can study each one of those out on your own. We don't have time to go through some of those. Um, but there are significance to some of these. Um, and again, like Tim said, the biggest thing is that you have to be organized. Yes. I mean, think about all the organization he had to do and think about him coming in. He's just an average citizen. Again, he's not anybody special, not a leader, not a priest, not a king. He just has the authority given to him by, uh, I think that's our, our, our horn. That's our timer. Uh, I think that's our timer to stop. <laughs> but he doesn't have any authority given to him by anybody else except for the king. So he's just an average, an average Joe doing God's work, helping the people. And the people see it because the people respond. They follow They him. actually follow yeah. him. And they actually follow him. Well, I think that um, as we as we've said, the horn has has buzzed, rung, yep. sounded. The sound, the sounded, horn has sounded. Sounded, we might say. <laughs> um, so our time for our session today is done. So next week we'll finish up the book of Nehemiah. Uh, we'll start in chapter four, talking about some of the enemies uh, that come and try to prevent this project from being done. But we know that it only takes them fifty-two days to build the wall. 52 days, that's it. That's an amazing accomplishment. So as you read through the book of Nehemiah, there's much to say about the book of Nehemiah as it relates to prayer too. There's lots of uh, of instances where here's Nehemiah just praying, just praying, because that's where he's getting his strength from. And I hope this week that uh, you'll get your strength through prayer as well. That's all the time we have for today. So if you have any questions, send them to Bible reading at lmbc.org. We'll be glad to answer them via email or even on the air if it pertains to what we're talking about. We'll see you next time.